This is an interview for Peak Magazine. We're joined with none other than Black Twang. I just jumped out the car and I seen him walk, walk along the street. So, Black Twang, appreciate you taking the time out, mate. My pleasure, mate. Thank you. I'm really interested to know about your South London slang and uh, the lexicon and with the, um, the specific references, South London, the locales. Can I ask, where, where is the inspiration? Where did this come from? What inspired you to do this? Yeah, so the inspiration behind like my references, if you like, really was life, my environment. But it was inspired by, or maybe um, framed by my love for, for hip-hop in general. Like listening to a lot of New York hip-hop, listening to some of the West Coast hip-hop. And, you know, when you listen to those tracks, they kind of paint vivid pictures in your mind. Like, even though you're not there, you feel like you're there because they're painting that picture so vividly, um, it makes you feel like you already know that place. And so when you, whenever you get a chance to go to them places, you're like, oh, I wonder where such and such place was that um, so-and-so referred to in his song or whatever. I remember going to Brooklyn for the first time in the 90s and um, I was thinking, oh, I wonder where Albi Square Mall is because I'd heard um, Bismarck Key mention it in one of his lyrics. And so, obviously, whenever, when it got time for me to really get serious about my writing, I wanted to make sure that I was telling like a really, really like vivid story for people to kind of be able to see my neighborhood, see my locality, where I come from, and um, almost feel like I brought them to, to, to my environment, do you know what I mean? So, I think that was really the inspiration behind me really referencing a lot of stuff that I go through in my life. And because I was documenting my life, because me and my life really is you can see my life through my music in general so for me to document it I had to make exact references and actual you know real true to life references so that's one of the reasons the inspiration behind me using a lot of those slangs and um, and I just really wanted to just tell my story that's all it was so yeah did you were you brought up around Lewisham is that um, is that close to like Penge, uh, Brixton, South East London? Yeah, they're probably like they're probably like within a, a radius of like six miles between all those areas you mentioned. Um, Penge and Lewisham probably about yeah probably about six seven miles. Um, Brixton another six seven miles. It's not really far from each other, um, but it's actually closer to Greenwich. It's closer to Greenwich. It's closer to um, Peckham. Um, Camberwell, all those areas. So yeah, it's a big, it's a big, it's actually I say it's a big, it's a big borough, but it's so close to other boroughs like Lambeth and Southwark and stuff like that. So you're kind of always interchanging and going in and out of those boroughs. Yeah, man. Yeah. So can I ask how how did you get how did you get the start on hip hop and uh, and making beats and rhyming? Did you did you hook up with a specific group of guys or did you go to college to do it or or uh, or what? Yeah, my um, introduction to the music really was just being a fan of the music. Um, and one of the guys from around my area in, in Lewisham um, was a guy called Sykes from Urban Revenge. Um, he was basically like a sound man who used to like wire up sounds and drive to places and play, play out and organise gigs as well. And that's really how I, not so much first got into it, but that's how I kind of became like involved in really actively being a part of you know, the hip-hop scene and stuff like that. Um, but before that, it was just really being a fan of the music, um, listening to it, um, trying to recite my favourite artist's lyrics, like my favourite Big Daddy Kane lyric or my favourite Rakim lyric or Ice Cube or whoever. And um, that's really how I got into it as far as just being a fan. But as far as, like, making the music, 
it started from you know me moving around with Urban Revenge, and then I hooked up with a friend of mine called VRS in Brixton, and then yeah, we kind of just kind of started taking it a little bit more serious. I learned how to engineer and started to use equipment. I learned how to sample, learned how to you know just basically learn studio studio techniques and stuff and that's really how I kind of became more serious and from there I just developed and developed and mastered my craft and that's that's it that's it rest is history wow do you do you feel from from your background and perspective do you feel like you've got to know all of the the production side of music or or like not you per se but someone coming in like yourself and is just and or say just an uh, I say that in invert, uh, inverted commas just an MC. Do you feel like in today's music industry? Do you feel like you have to know the production? You have to know all the beat. You have to do this. You have to know a bit about um, social media. Do you feel like you have to do that now, opposed to when you first started? Um, I guess so. I mean, I guess the landscape has changed massively with regards to how artists are marketed, how they um, get involved with pushing themselves and getting getting a vibe and getting a buzz going. I mean, for me personally, when I first started, it was more about just having an understanding of it. Um, and I think as, a, as an artist myself, just personally speaking, um, I always felt it was important to understand the music that you were making because the music formed or created that, that bed for you and, and captured the emotion that you wanted to put across to people. And I think if you just wrapped over any old beat, you're not always going to be able to convey your message. Like, so I always, that's why I actually got into production because I wanted to make sure that my lyrics matched the emotion or the mood of the actual track or vice versa, the track matched my lyrics. Because sometimes, you know, one comes before the other, doesn't it? Like sometimes you write lyrics or other times you might make the beat. But then I wanted to make sure that when I was writing that the music captured what I was trying to say and it kind of, the marriage of the music and the lyrics kind of worked really well. Um, with regards to market, it's so different now because... It's better in one sense, but on the other hand, it's it's kind of like a wild, wild west where there's not really much regulation. Everyone can just put out anything and there's no real quality control. Um, not saying we need to be controlled, but I think uh, to some degree, you need some sort of element of like, cool, this is good or this is good. Because nowadays, anyone can be like, yep, I'm putting that out and I don't care what you lot think. As long as I can market it and keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, it will do what it does. However, when we were coming up, there was a bit of like, there was almost like a standard, like a level that you had to kind of be at before you could even put those records out. Some people nowadays are just making records that I made when I first, first started out that I would never, ever even dream about putting out. And so, yeah. Like you said, the quality may be not there because the, um, I think w what it is uh, with a lot of people now is that the, the, they don't want to sit down and master the craft. Exactly. Yeah. I think nowadays it also has become very disposable where, as you said, and as I said, um, people don't master the craft. They just literally want to make the music. Yeah, cool. Yeah, man, man can make a quick thing out of this and then bounce. See how many views again? Yeah, that exactly. Or how many followers? Or if I can go viral or whatever, whatever. So it's very different. But at the same time, you just gotta you gotta um, adapt, be adaptable, and change with the times, and then see where you can fit in and where it works for you. I mean, I'm not necessarily gonna be doing it. It's funny actually, because on the way up here, when I was driving up from London um, last night. I was listening to music and then at one point I was listening to music thinking man if this is what the music sounds like I don't really want to make music anymore but then then I heard some other stuff from some other newer artists I was like okay yeah good oh so people still appreciate this kind of music so in a way you just got to find find where you fit in 
you know, getting where you fit in, as they say, yeah. and, um, and, and, uh, and make it work for you. I want, I want to ask about um, I want to ask about your debut album Death Deathwork yeah. Southeast um, and this is like a what what was the connection with Network Southeast uh, can I ask what the connection was there <laughs> yeah it's actually really funny um, so Deathwork Southeast was inspired by the railway line called Network Southeast and the reason why I called it Deathwork Southeast was because my estate literally from my landing on the fourth floor when I, when I look out it's a train line that runs literally by my um, New Cross New Cross stations literally by my house yeah so obviously I was looking at it every day and then sometimes we go and sit on top of the garages where we was burning the zoo or something or just playing whatever on the garages there because my estate literally was by the rail track like the rail track right went right beside my house and then you know whenever my gateway into the my yeah my gateway into the city was through Network Southeast train. So every day, I was going to the West End. I hit New Cross, boom! I jump on the train, London Bridge, Waterloo East, Charing Cross. You're in the West End. You walk through like Covent Garden and over to Carnaby Street and whatever. So that was really it. But then me changing it to Debt Work was really inspired by um, Debt Incorporated, which was by like MC Mello, DJ Pogo. Um, they had like back then the slang we used to use was like, oh, if something's really good, we'll say, yeah, that's Debt. You know, like nowadays people say something's sick or something's dope or something's banging or something's peng or whatever the slang is now. The slang back then in the um, 80s and 90s was something was debt. Yeah, that's debt. So we switched network to debt work. So it was just like a play on words. And then Southeast being where, you know, I was raised and I started out my craft. Um, that was literally like a really mad, it kind of just worked out really well where rather than network, you're debt working because it's such it's good work from the Southeast. And that was it. Yeah, I mean, we touched on this right at the start of the interview, but could could you give us some examples of the, this? Um, what's the word? I keep forgetting the word. This uh, locales, yeah. some uh, specific slang of uh, of the southeast uh, lexicon. Could you give us some uh, uh, examples? Oh, right now, not really. Um, <laughs> off, off the top of my head, no, because slang just obviously it's like language, isn't it? Language evolves over time, so. I mean, it's funny, when I listen back to my records, and because I use so much slang of that time, I listen now and think, wow, that's crazy. Like, people used to call girls beans. You know what I mean? Um, or um, drapes. Like, drapes is to get, like, robbed or something. That's, that's different. Or just different different, different things. Do you know what I mean? And, and the slang's changed now. Like, nowadays, people probably say you're getting... I don't know, you're getting splashed, if you're getting, if you're getting stabbed, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? So, but those are the kind of slangs that I would use back then. Um, so I would say stuff like, you're getting drapes for your papes, you're getting rubbed for your money, um, or my gates. I suppose my, my gates is still the same now, but my gates is my, my crib or my house or whatever. So yeah, it changes, it changes. Oh, cool, man. Um, I want to ask also about your your next album, 19 Long Time. Why can I ask why was this album obstructed by your record label? Yeah, actually, funny enough, 19 Long Time wasn't the obstruction. The, the obstructed album was Deadwood Southeast. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't by my label. It was actually by me. I I put a stop to it because I wasn't happy with the way um, it was about to be promoted. Because um, at the time, the buzz was really really massive. Do you know what I mean? Um, and the label that I was dealing with at the time, we were promised a certain budget to market it and promote it. 
and then right at the last minute, literally, when I say last minute, I mean probably like a week before it was meant to be released, um, they were like, oh, you know, I've got some bad news. We're going to slash the budget from like, I don't know, 60K or 30K to like 10K. And I was like, yeah, exactly. And I said, that's not what I signed up for. So I said, nope, I'm not doing it. Um, but unfortunately, they'd already pressed the album, vinyl, they pressed the singles, they shot the video, but I walked away from it. Yeah, so it was actually my call. Yeah, and um, I was like, nope, we're not doing it. Me and um, me and Jeremy Chuse from Sound of Money, who was the actual independent label that um, I was signed to. I say signed to, yeah, that we were doing it together with. Um, decided, nah, that's not good enough. We're gonna go and find ourselves a better situation distribution-wise. And so we scratched, we sort of shelved it and said, right, we're not doing that. Um, fun enough. I'd won a MOBA that year. It was the first hip-hop MOBA that I'd won that year. So the, like I said, the buzz was really mad. And you had all these labels sort of saying, oh yeah, what's your situation? We really want to get with you, da 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 da. But then when you got down to the crux of it, they will, they will turn around and not really offer you anything that better than what you walked away from. So anyway, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go away for like a year or six months, re-record my album. And um, so what I did was I re-recorded 19 Long Time album, remade some tracks that were on um, Deadwork South East, but gave them different music, didn't put Deadwork South East on it, kept some tracks off it completely and just made 19 Long Time. And that turned out to be my debut album. However, Deadwork South East was my first album, but didn't come out till like 18 years later, which is insane. But everything works out for a reason. And I'm a big believer everything happens for a reason as well. So yeah. It kind, it kind of reminds me a bit of, um, are you familiar with the film A Clockwork Orange? Well, Stanley Kubrick, who directed this Clockwork, a Clockwork uh, Orange, everyone thinks that film got banned, but it was actually Stanley Kubrick who pulled that film. But uh, it just kind of reminds us of that when you were uh, chatting there about that. On a positive kickoff, the album kickoff uh, was better promoted. Um, what response... Um, what response and what experience did you gain from this album? Oh my God, Kickoff album was like, it's almost like this is what happens when you water a plant properly. Or, you know, like certain plants are just, you don't water them and they're still surviving, but they're not, or you, or you put them in like a small pot and they can't, they don't have like enough stunted. room to, yeah, they're stunted, right. So this is what happens. You can see like what we can really do with the right sort of backing behind you. And that's what Kickoff album kind of gave me. The experience was amazing. Some, some not so good because I was like, it's kind of fake. But all, overall, it was really, really good. Like I got to go to so many places. Um, the response to my album, people, a lot, of, a lot more people got a chance to hear my album. Not just if you tune into like the late night hip hop show on a Friday night, but more like daytime radios hearing my stuff. Um, my videos were being played in the daytime as well. And people around the country got to really hear me, um, hear my music. And that was, that was incredible. The downside to it was that other people wanted to get involved and you know, try to change your sound and tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't be doing because they felt that they knew it, but it wasn't always right. In fact, more often than not, it was wrong. Do you know what I mean? So that was the downside to it, but it was an amazing experience. I played Glastonbury um, a couple of times. The response was amazing. I did Leeds Festival, Reading Festival. I went all over the world um, doing interviews, tours, collaborations. And it was great, 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 great time of my life. Wow, man, sounds absolutely brilliant. Just with, um, do you know, there's a saying saying you've got two brains, you've got one in your head and one in your gut. Was that like a, maybe a time where 
you've you've trusted your your other brain and your gut. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I think actually I should have trusted it more um, than I than I did because um, certain things felt like this should happen, but because my other brain was like, oh well, maybe. Yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe we'll go with what they're, what they're deciding to do. Because sometimes, as I say, he who pays the piper calls the tune. So because these labels sometimes were paying for certain things to happen, they had almost like the final say on what happened, um, which kind of led to I was actually parting ways because after a while I was like, nah, I'm not really feeling that decision. Even though you're paying for it, that's not really... So it wasn't really like that harmonious at some point. But at the same time... Yeah, I got to meet some incredible people. Um, Banksy designed my album cover for Kickoff. Yeah, the Kickoff album is a Banksy. <laughs> um, he also directed my video for Kickoff as well. So, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, you know that one co completely got past us. <laughs> yeah, if you look on the back, of, look on the back on the cover of Deadwood Southeast, it says Banksy. All oh, right, so that uh, the the, in the interviewers took a enormous twist um, so obviously you can't di divulge but would you class him as a friend um, no nah, not really um, yeah I met him those times when I was working with him great guy real different but yeah amazing and he's so creative as well so and he's gone on since then he's gone on to become this incredible what, what do you want to call it um, myth <laughs> yeah I mean he's 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 gone on to, well, there's a lot of rumours about him, but uh, obviously you know better than me, and I've got my own suspicions uh, who he is. Hell no. Nah. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's not who you think it is. Honestly, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's who it is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go and look at Massive Attack now, actually, that you said that. Right. Who in Massive Attack did you think it was? Uh, Robert Delnaya. Okay, I'll go and look him up. You, you, can you Google him and show him what he looks like? Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, we'll have a look. Can I ask what your plans are moving forward? And uh, is there any new work in the in the pipeline? Um, my plans going forward, um, I actually really want to record more music, to be honest with you. I've not recorded much music in the last two years. I, did, I, I was doing stuff like, obviously the lockdown really changed the whole landscape of the world, if you like. Um, also, the passing of my father in 2019 kind of changed my outlook a little bit sometimes but since then yeah I put out a couple of singles I've had um, I had a track with Dirty Goods called Dirty Dirty um, check it out it's on Spotify as well um, I also had another track called Go Ape Shit produced by Nutty P and yeah really really good tracks so what I want to do now is actually um, get back in the studio and record a couple of things I got a track with Shorty Blitz that came out recently called The Beast featuring Corey Guns, um, um, Joe, Joel Ortiz and John Connor. Yeah, so have a listen if you get a chance to. It's on Shorty Blitz's EP. But yeah, I'm going to be getting back in the studio. I've got, I've got quite a lot of material that I've never released that I still want to put out. So if people are interested and there's, there's, there's a market for it, then I'm definitely going to do that music. Yeah. In your opinion, is it worth having a record deal now in this in this time in this day and age, uh, 2023? Is it worth having a record deal? Is it worth having a manager, um, or is it just better? I think I kind of um, touched on this earlier on in the interview, but 
again, is it worth having a record deal with with a company? Is it worth having a manager, and it, or is it just best to do your do your own thing? Um, there's sort of you can you could um, you could contextualize those questions and say it depends. It's all dependent on what sort of manager you've got or what sort of record deal you've got because yes it's worth having a record deal if your record deal is a big record deal and they're really going to put that money behind you and they believe in you um, and if they're signing me for like 25 million quid now, hell yeah it's good to have a record deal do you know what I mean rather than you know slugging it yes you can make more money if you're doing it by yourself and you're very successful but we all know that big corporations like to take over and control everything so in a way you've got to play it play you know Play, play it with your own set of rules and, and find out what works for you best. Um, with regards to manager, if you've got a manager that really understands you and really believes in you, then by all means, you should have a manager. Otherwise, I would say just to have a team, a team that knows how to play their role and play their position and everyone's kind of working towards the same goal, um, then, yeah, that's what I would suggest. But there's no harm. I, feel, I still believe, like, yep, a good manager and a good record label that want to put everything behind you and support you and really push you to your full capability, then there's nothing wrong with it. Have you got any advice for someone listening to this interview? There might be some young kid listening to this, wanting a bit of inspiration. Um, what advice have you got to that person? Um, advice that I would give that person was, um, do, you know, getting it for the love to start with. Um, everything that we touched on really in this interview, which is getting, get, getting it for the love, um, and be really passionate and um, do it with conviction. Um, what's the other one? Um, master your craft, absolutely. And lastly, just believe in yourself. Trust your gut. Trust your, trust your gut brain. <laughs> yeah, man, trust your gut brain. And um, yeah, everything will work out as it's meant to be. Black Twang, it's been, I want to say it's been emotional, but uh, I'm so pleased I bumped in, in here there and I'm, uh, I really appreciate you sitting down and giving me the time, Paul, and, uh, and I wish you all the success in the future. Thank Can you. I get a touch? Absolutely. Cheers, bro. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. And what's the magazine called? Peep Magazine. Peep Magazine. Peep this magazine, man. It's going to be, it's Peep this interview. It's going to be good. <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. Cheers. Cheers. I like the t-shirt too. Yeah, yeah, that's... You'll have to send me one of them. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah.